Well, good morning to everyone and welcome to Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre and welcome to those joining our Christian family on our Podbean podcast. So many people now uh, are joining in and I, I trust you all feel right at home and uh, that you'll sense a, a divine touch here today, uh, endured or clothed with power from on high, amen? And I, pray, and I, I said to Rayleigh as she came up, I said, when you leave this place, I just... I just hope that you're full of the power of God, amen, invigorated. And uh, the gospel message is an empowering message when ministered with life and liberty and the power of God through the person of the Holy Spirit. The gospel demands a response from the heart of man and it'll make you either mad, glad or sad, amen. That is generally the response of people when they hear the gospel, it'll make them mad It'll make him glad or it'll make him very, very sad. Remember the rich young ruler who wasn't willing really to forgo anything in his life, wanted to to come to Jesus and give nothing of himself, but he went away sad, didn't he? But because you and I have been given a free will by God, his word is preached with the intent that you would not only hear the word, but believe and receive the word. Massive difference. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it, says in Luke 28. John 1.12 says, yet to all who received him. Now who? That's received Jesus. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will. In other words, you are not here by an accident, nor are you an accident. Amen. Some people think they're just walking around like an accident waiting to be happened. But, uh, but born of God. And I ask you here today, are you born of God? Are you born from above or are you born again? And you can know your eternal destiny. And you can have that assurance that when you accept Jesus today, and it's very, very simple to repent, to believe, and receive him today. And that's the heart of this universal gospel, and that's why it's called the good news message. But I'd like, if you will, this morning, if you'd turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. I believe Brooke over there has got a brand new beautiful Bible, and she's going to say, where's Ephesians? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and there it is. So turn in your, in your Bible to the book of Ephesians, and I'll do the, self, my, do the same myself now. But Ephesians, it was written by the Apostle Paul, often known as the Apostle of Grace and Grit. And he wrote this magnificent epistle or letter while in a prison in Rome. Amen? And he wrote this great work of God while he himself was imprisoned. And the the book of Ephesians is rightly be called the Alps of the New Testament. It reached significant heights, the Grand Canyon of Scripture, the royal capstone of the epistles, because it describes the majesty of Christ and it's revealed and the revelation of man to the church. But Christ revealed, as in your New King James study notes will say, in chapter 1, in chapter 1, his Christ is revealed as the great Redeemer. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, by the riches of his grace. So in him we have redemption. So Christ is the great Redeemer. 
In Ephesians 1.10, he's the resurrected Lord. In chapter 2, he is the great peacemaker, having broken down the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. In Ephesians 2.19-22, he's the great chief cornerstone. And uh, in Ephesians 3.8, he's the treasure in whom life's unsearchable riches are found. I pray that you've found the unsearchable riches that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Going on there in Ephesians 3, 17 to 19, he's the indweller of human hearts. And that's exactly what happens. When you invite Jesus Christ into your life, he becomes the indweller of your very, very own heart, securing us in the love of God. In chapter 4, in, he is the giver of ministry gifts. And going on, he is the victor who has broken hell's ability to keep humankind captivated. Amen? And you can be set free if you want to be set free. In chapter 5, he's described as the head of the church and as the husband to the bride called the church. So you and I are the bride of Christ. Get over it, men. <laughs> You're the bride of Christ. You're probably not the best looking bride out there, but men, you are the bride of Christ. Women, you are the bride of Christ. Amen. In chapter 6, he's the Lord mighty in battle. And the resource of strength for every spiritual battle and warfare. In other words, the Lord has not left us here as orphans, nor has he left us as an unresourced body. So Paul, while he's writing this letter, he's now in bonds. Though he wasn't denied pen or paper or ink. Having favor in the midst of his enemies, even though he, Paul, was an enemy of the state. He would not bow down to the requirements uh, that was against his conscience and against what God would have for him. Paul was Nero's prisoner, but the Emperor Nero was in fact more God's prisoner, amen? And that's really anybody who holds you captive against your will because of the knowledge of God, they're more in captive to sin than any iron bars could hold a man. Paul often used the salutation when being incarcerated in prison, and he was so many times, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, never even describing that he was held, in fact, by imperial Rome. He never considered himself to be chained by imperial Rome. He was always the man, the bondservant of Jesus Christ. And the servant of the Lord is the Lord's free man, amen? But Paul, although Paul held captive and was the Lord's free man, Paul throughout his life was as free as a bird in any cell, in any, in any part of the Roman Empire, amen? He never felt really captivated. In the Philippian jail, remember, at midnight, he was still praising God, amen? Till the earthquake came, uh, the earthquake, <laughs> the earthquake came and shattered the foundations of that prison and they all became free. So, but there are more people held captive and they're held captive not by iron bars, they're not held captive by razor wire, but to sin the flesh and the devil, man is captivated. Oh, yes, he is. And if you and I love sin more than we love God, we will never be free from those things which so easily ensnare us. If you love your sin, if you love that your pornography, if you love your this and you love your that more than you love God, you will never be set free from it a thousand times. No, you will not. If you and I love sin more than we love God, I say learn to hate sin and be repulsed by it like the plague. 
Just flee from sin was James' advice. And don't even walk by the door of an adulterous woman, says Proverbs. In other words, don't put yourself or position yourself to be even tempted by the things of the flesh. Rather, make your way home by another suburb. Don't even walk down the street, says Proverbs. Go around it. Flee from sin. But the Christian requires courage to despise the shame which we came to expect when we openly confess Christ. And in Australia, it's more subdued than in communist nations and so forth. But there is, uh, uh, there is uh, things that are against us, against us just the same. And, but there may be some here today and will join the many who will lose heaven and its eternal reward, seeking the temporal approval of men and will not confess Christ openly. Amen? The peril of not confessing Christ openly because you are so cool in your present position in this wonderful society of ours, and perhaps you too will lose your heavenly reward. But Paul here at this time, his concern, while he's in this, in this jail in, in Rome, it was, his concern was not for his own captivity and personal deprivations. No, he wasn't. But of the liberty and the growth of the church held captive the mind of Paul. From this location, he wrote, the letter to the Ephesians, he wrote a letter to the Philippian church, and he wrote a letter to the Colossian church, and another word I, I had a look this morning, he also wrote a private to, a letter to Philemon, asking the forgiveness and release of a runaway slave, but never did he use his influence to setting himself free. Isn't it amazing? Amazing, an eloquent, a very, very intellectual, smart man, and yet he never tried to secure his own release, but the liberty of the church was foremost and uppermost in the mind of that great apostle Paul, that man of grace and grit. Turn to the person next to you and you say, do you have any grace and grit, brother? <laughs> do you have any grace and grit for the hour in which we live? Oh, we need to. Oh, yes, we need to. Paul said, stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made you free. Amazing, he wrote many of these things while imprisoned. Amen? A cry to all churches and believers to this day. Why? Because the gospel and the message of salvation, it can never be chained. Amen? All this great message of Christ, it can't be chained to a Roman prison wall. No, no, it can't. And so I'd like for us now, after discussing the great unveiling in the book of Ephesians, this mystery called the church, and five times it's mentioned in this, in this letter, the mystery called the church, and it was a called a mystery because up until this point of time, it had not been unveiled to humanity, this new body called the church. Whether It didn't matter whether you were Jew nor Greek, Gentile, bond servant, slave nor free, because Christ was all and in all. And from a Jewish community and from the Gentile community, God would bring them all together under one body, under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we all love the great teaching. We all love marvelous revelations. Amen? We all love that. We all love in Scripture the beautiful prose and the word pictures. And we get a little bit melancholy even when we read Psalms and so, so, so forth. 
But Ephesians chapter 6, 1 to 9 is where the rubber hits the road. And what does all this book really look like on a real practical level called Christianity? And so we see that Paul paints the great picture of the church and the Christian walk in, in chapters 1 to 3, which is half exactly of the book of Ephesians. But the practical outworking of this great message, of this gospel message, was outworked on a day-to-day basis from chapters 4 to 6. And it starts with, in the very first verse in Ephesians 3.1, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. I turn to yourself and just ask yourself, am I walking worthy to the calling of which I am called? And is my life a great witness for those around me? Oh, Jesus, today. It's a good question, isn't it? That's a humbling experience. Are we walking worthy of the calling with which you and I were called? Amen? Does our lifestyle exemplify the Christian highs? In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, I'd like for us, if we could go there, Paul is documenting for all time a, God, a God's divine order for not only our own life, but the life of our, of our families and also for our societies. And I'm going to read it, and uh, I pray that adults and children alike would listen to what I've got to say. And here it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Oh, that's a tough one. It says, honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that you may live long on the earth. And it says, and you fathers, we're not left out here, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Amen? It goes on to say, bond servants. A bond servant means a slave. And you have to understand, the Bible doesn't speak too much of it, but three quarters of the population of the Roman Empire at the time were slaves. But we have similar situations today, no different. Bond servant could really be another name for an employer, or an, sorry, an employee. It says, bond servants be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleases. I mean, when the boss comes on site, do we roll our eyes when he walks away? Or do we as men pleases? Oh, amen? Oh, that, that rings something there, doesn't it? I've got to think how I treated some of those situations myself. Not with eye service as men pleases, but as bond servants of Christ. There it is again. Not a bond servant of man. We're bond servants of Jesus Christ. It brings a whole new meaning to it. Doing the will of God from the heart. In other words, not just doing things that look good, but doing things that are good. With goodwill, doing services to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the slave, from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Verse 9, and you masters do the same things. In other words, bosses. Our employers uh, do the same things to them. Give up threatening, knowing that your own master, who is the Lord, also is in heaven, and there is no partiality 
with him. Oh, isn't that, isn't that interesting? I'd like to just reflect then and go back to Ephesians 5.22, just to couple that whole thing off. And it says here, this is interesting, this is a good one, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Isn't that good? Oh, yes. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Oh, how does that work in a woke society like ours? But I want to say that Scripture is for all eternity and for all generations, amen? One generation thinks it can shrug it off for some reason. Oh, it can't. Oh, not in the eyes of God, it can't. Therefore, just as church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. But here, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That's what a husband does. He gives himself for his bride, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot nor wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, not of his, uh, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and a mother, joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And there is a great mystery, but I seek concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife that she respects her husband. And so we see, I'd, I'd like to pull this apart just a little bit. I won't be speaking long this morning, and many will go, Hallelujah, Jeff, you've promised that before. We're not using a clock for you, we're going to use a calendar. <laughs> but here it says, wives are to respect their husbands. See the operative or the doing or the verb there. So men res respond to respect. That's what we're called to do. Wives are to respect their husbands. Many wives will say, well, I don't have a husband who, do, who really deserves respect. <laughs> but the Bible is very clear. It says, husbands, uh, wives are to respect their husbands. Listen to what the, uh, the verb for the male is. Husbands are to love their wives. You see the difference? We are distinctly different. Men respond to respect and women respond to love. Isn't that amazing? That's how we're wired. That's how we're made. Marriage is a, a godly institution, amen? It is a wonderful institution. What about ones for the children? This is a good one for Jay and Emily. Children, obey your parents. It says here, honour your father and your mother. Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Hey? I'll go over that one again, just in case Jay couldn't hear me the first time. It says, children, obey your parents. Honour your father and your mother. Bond servants, basically employees we would use today, be obedient in sincerity of heart. So there's the two verbs there. Be obedient in sincerity of heart. You are not equal to your employer. You are his employee. And he has bought you with a sum of wages at an hourly rate. He has bought your time. 
and he expects you to do what he wants you to do with his time and with your time, amen? And it's not so in this day and age because we've got rights, you know, and we've got this right and they've got that right, but where's the employer's rights? And it says, and masters or employers give up threatening. Do this or do that, or all, or all, or all. And so that's not, that's not godly. The reality of the day is that three quarters of the Roman Empire were slaves, and that is the context in which it's written. But we have identical situations with, that, with us today. And so from the general to the rank and file of the church, amen? From the general to the rank and file of the church, husbands, wives, children, bondservants and masters, it's basically saying, Paul is saying, take up your positions, we think we want to go straight into spiritual warfare and we're called the army of God, but we don't know our place and we don't know our position and we're wondering why there's dysfunction in the church and we wonder why we're not as effective as we should be. God has placed a divine order for families and he's placed a divine order for all of society very, very clearly, not only in this scripture alone here, but in Colossians and many, many other places. It says, pray for your leaders. And so that would be a task for all people under the leadership. When I spoke to the council and opened in prayer some months ago, I spoke to uh, and about the church's responsibility to, first of all, pray for our leaders, which is absolutely scriptural in the epistles to Timothy. And now comes the great encouraging word to battle from the general to which Ephesians 6.10 is most famous. Oh, it is. It's very, very famous. And he says, and Paul says, finally, my brethren, who? That's the husbands and the wives and the children, the employers and the employees, and the Jews and the Greeks and the Gentiles, the Scythians, slave nor free, Christ is all and in all. And he says to that group of brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. But he rallied the troops first, amen, and he called and reminded them of God's divine order. And I have found, if you were ever wor working in or have been in the military, and some people here may have been in the military, you will know your position and you will know who you are ranked to. But sadly in the church, we don't often know our position. And we work outside our parameters of position and or influence. I am a full believer in the priesthood of believers, absolutely. But there is a divine order in families. And we, when we step out of that divine order, you will find dysfunction not too far away. And the greatest dilemma of this age is the level of dysfunction at every level of society and at every family's level. Amen? That's true. These are basic principles. And so he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. But he does so after calling in the rank and file and calling people into their positions. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Children, obey and honour your parents. Employees, oh, you see how it all makes good sense? And it is a divine order. God is not a God of chaos. Out of tohu vavohu, out of formless and the void in, in, the, in the days of creation, God breathed and brought forth light and divine order. Amen? Who's getting something out of this this morning? 
But it echoes the heart of God. When, when I read this, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. It stirs us, doesn't it? It's a general calling his people into arms and to action and into the battle itself. And it echoes the heart of God as, as God himself said to Joshua four times in the first chapter of Joshua, in verses 6, 7, 9, and 18. Oh, if you're taking notes... And God said to Joshua in the first time, he said, be strong and of good courage. You see that? God is speaking life into those who may feel timid, not up to the action, whose eyes are on the enemy and Goliath is looking big. But I tell you what, as somebody who's encouraged and strong, he sees the head of Goliath and sees his sling and he sees the head of Goliath as something that he can't miss. Because he's been encouraged in the things of God. You see how your perspective changes when you're hooked up with the Spirit of God. And I pray too that when you leave this place, you feel greatly enhanced and encouraged. But it's a rallying cry to both Joshua and the people of God and to you and I here today. Be strong and of good courage. When you turn on the news and you see the things going on, even just down the street these days, I say be strong and of good courage. Amen? Be strong and of good courage. The Lord has not left us as orphans, and he has sent his Holy Spirit, the paraclete, to be beside you in every step of the way. There is no reason for you to feel timid, timidity nor fear, because when you're filled with faith, fear has no place in you. When you're filled with fear, faith has no place in you. You see? And when you give fear an eviction notice, faith comes straight into that door, that Fear left open, amen? And same too, when fear creeps into your life, it opens a door, faith departs, and fear creeps in, amen? But I encourage you today, open that door and let faith just come storming back into your life. Be strong and of good courage, says God. Paul says, finally, my brethren. Here, in other words, he says, uh, finally, my brethren, be strong. In other words, here is the conclusion of the matter. Here is the conclusion of the matter. I said all that to say this. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Sometimes people read that scripture and they start flexing their muscles. And it does make you feel physically strong when you're hooked up with God, amen? When you're five foot two like me, you need all the help you can get. Oh, I want to hook up with someone bigger than myself. When you hook up with God or you're, you're hooking up with the creator of the universe, amen? With all the power all, all the power, omnipotent, all-powerful is God. Amen. Paul here is raising up the spirits of the church and a call to arms and battle, pulling the rank and file into divine order and exhorting them as I, as I do to you here today. Be strong, amen, and be strong in the Lord. That's where your strength comes from. Oh, yes, it is. Paul here, in their own strength, does he say, uh, be strong in your own strength? No, not at all. A thousand times, no, not at all. I said, the arm of the flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Not by might nor by power, says Zechariah 4.6, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that's where we are to tap into, into the spirit of God. And so... In their own strength, no. So in Ephesians 6.10, let's read this now. These very, very famous... And many people, they go straight into this without 
looking at all the foundations of how it can work. If your foundations are not right, if your household is not in order, if your relationships, if you're a child or a a son or a daughter and you're not honouring your mother and your father, you're opening a door for the enemy to get in, amen? But when you honour and obey your parents, there is a healthy protection for every member of the family and every member of our society. There is a protection and divine order when we work in God's parameters. And so now, having set this in order first, we can boldly then go straight into Ephesians 6.10, which we all know. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Listen to this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Amen? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's why your muscular strength will not help you. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, unseen opposing forces. That sounds like my phone. No, it's somebody else's phone. Thank God for that. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Oh, there it is that you may be able to stand or withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Verse 14, a few more verses to go. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all taken the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So there it is again. For we put, uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand or stand against the wiles of the devil. That word there is schemings. When you watch the roadrunner, his name was Wiley Coyote. Remember, he was the one who wanted to bomb uh, the roadrunner all the time. Wily, that's the wiles of the devil. That's the coyote. They didn't give him that name for nothing. And so we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But here in this uh, passage, it lists the weapons of our warfare, which I will cover another day. Uh, I'd like to cover this all in greater detail, and I will in the coming weeks to come. But there are, I will just list these uh, for the sake of time. And the first is, gird your waist with truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. And so that's what we do. Putting on, number two, the breastplate of righteousness. If, we're not, if we don't embrace righteousness or honor righteousness or contend or fight for righteousness, how can we expect the blessing of heaven and how can we... Uh, think that we can be effective in any spiritual warfare, having not done these very, very basics. The other one is shod your feet with the gospel, making preparation. And that is the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, says Romans 10, 17. And so we prepare our lives with the gospel. And it's best I have found not to prepare yourself with the gospel in the day when things are going wrong, but on a daily basis... It's called daily maintenance. Amen? 
Who knows that maintenance is far, far cheaper than having to do a whole engine overhaul because you're blowing the thing up. And so I would say spiritual maintenance is what we do on a day-to-day, to-day-to-day basis. Reading the whole book of Genesis and patting myself on the back in one day and then not looking at my Bible for the next three weeks is absolutely futile. All you become really is knowledgeable of what you should be doing, but not empowered to live by it, amen? And so uh, living our life on a day-to-day basis, feeding ourselves constantly on the Word of God. And I call it like having Weet-Bix or having breakfast. We don't always remember every single breakfast or what we had for breakfast every day, do we? What did you have for breakfast three weeks ago on the Tuesday? Very few people here could, unless they have exactly the same thing for breakfast. But we do know that that breakfast sustained us for the day. And so you may not remember what you actually read in the Word of God three weeks ago, but we do know that grace is given to us on a daily basis. And so when you're feeding on a daily basis on the Word of God, it will sustain you for that 24-hour period. But we need to come to, to the Word of God constantly as it is the source of your power, including with your worship and your prayer life. Amen? And sometimes as the army of God, we could be accused of being the only only army that cuts off our own supply line. Our supply line to enhance and invigorate and sustain our Christian walk is the word of God and prayer and worship. And when we don't do those basic things, we starve ourselves and we become anorexic in the spirit. Amen? It makes sense, doesn't it? What about take the shield of faith? Number four, the helmet of salvation. And there you see that the the word of God girds your mind. Amen? It girds and strengthens your mind. And take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And that's another reason why to feed on the word of God And uh, we know that when Jesus himself was confronted by demonic strongholds and demonic things, including the devil after he was baptized, he was driven 40 days into the wilderness and the devil confronted him. And every time the devil confronted Jesus, Jesus answered, it is written. Jesus knew the word of God and he expects us because we have been given this the basic instructions before leaving earth. That's what the Bible stands for. B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Amen. And here is our manual of procedure. When the devil comes at us, and he will. That's one of the promises of God. It says when the devil comes, not if the devil comes. How do we contend with him if you do not know the word of God? You too can answer like Jesus. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes forth or proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew 4.4 and Luke 4.4. But in that list of all the weaponry for the, to engage in battle and in spiritual warfare, it emits prayer as being a weapon. And I like to sometimes include it in the weaponry, but on this occasion I've left it out because I believe... Uh, When we wrestle not against flesh and blood, the wrestling is the prayer itself. The battle is the prayer, amen? Entering into the battle, prayer is the battle. And that's where the battle is engaged in, in prayer, amen? 
That's how we contend, not with flesh and blood, because we cannot physically work against the works of the devil. Physically, we will fail. But spiritually, how do we engage? We wrestle in prayer. I'd like to, just before closing, go to Genesis uh, 32 and verses 22. I pray that you write some of these scriptures down and you can read them for yourself and can see the fuller context in your own time. You can sift it through, think it through, pray it through. And we're speaking right now about Jacob. I'm just going to have a quick drink of water. And here we are, Jacob. Now, Jacob had been with his brother-in-law, Laban, and he had, uh, uh, sorry, and uh, he had married two wives. Now he had about 11 children, and he returned back to Israel. It wasn't called Israel at that time, but he uh, returned to his father's house. And he had made an enemy of his brother, Esau, and he was really in trepidation and in fear, and he crossed over the ford of Jabbok to enter into that land where he used to live, where he would find his brother Esau, who hated him. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And here we find Jacob wrestling. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. That's Jacob's hip. And, and it was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So he wrestled with the man of God. It's an unusual scripture. Jacob is wrestling with an angel of the Lord. And it could be the person of Jesus Christ in Old Testament times even. And he said, Jacob said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not go unless you bless me. Isn't that prevailing prayer? I will not let go unless you bless me. Who's ever prayed like that? Oh, that's, that's a powerful prayer. I will not let go until I have my healing, until there's a breakthrough in my finance, until there's a breakthrough in my marriage, until there's a breakthrough with my wayward son or daughter. And he said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. You see, Jacob's name means deceiver or supplanter. And Jacob, in his, he was a sinful sort of man, but he had a heart for God. And he, he was a deceiver. He was a, a supplanter. He was a sneaky man. Jacob was a sneaky man. And in Laban, he found his match. Amen? He found his match in Laban. But now he came as Jacob, the supplanter, the sinful man. And in Scripture, when God references the, the land of Israel and he calls him Jacob, he's calling him the Israel, the sinful nation. He's reminding him, he's reminding that nation of Israel from where it had come. It was a deceiving and supplanting sort of people. Before I came to Christ, I was a sneaky, supplanter, deceiving sort of person. Amen? And we all had that sin within us. Amen? But then he gave him a name. He says, you shall no longer be called Jacob, the deceiver, the supplanter, the sinful man, but you shall be called Israel. And isn't it interesting? It means prince with God. 
And he wrestled with God until he obtained the promise. Or would you wrestle with him today? Would you wrestle with God in prayer? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers, heavenly hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. How do you think you can wrestle in the natural means unless you come to the place of prayer? Will you come to prayer today? And will you not only just, not just say prayers, but begin to pour out your heart to God and pray? And there is a massive difference between saying prayers and praying. Amen? We can recite some things and some beautiful scriptures and prose, almost trying to educate God in our knowledge of the scripture. Oh, coming to God in an advisory capacity only. Who's ever been like that? Who's ever been in prayer meetings like that? And they're almost instructing God in the scriptures rattling off their favorite scriptures and things like that. Oh, but what about the heart prayers when you can see the travailing prayers, prayers that have got tears in them, prayers that have got anguish in them, amen, as they're calling on to God and they prevail against God and they say, Lord, I will not let you go till you bless me. When was the last time we prayed like that as a church? I will not let you go unless you bless me. Oh, I encourage you to come to the church prayer meeting on a Sunday morning, 8.30. And there we're learning to pray together that we will say, Lord, I will not let you go unless you bless this church and you bless this community in which we live, that you would bless my family, that you would bless my finances. Father, I will not let you go till healing comes in the name of the Jesus. I have heard a report, Father, from the doctor, and it's not good. But I will not let you go till I embrace you. Oh, I believe in healing because Jesus is the healer. That's why I believe in healing. Amen. Will you prevail and will you travail and will you wrestle? I'm going to be talking about Ephesians chapter 6 for a lot longer yet, but not today. I'm just thinking. I haven't even touched on the weapons of warfare but only touched on the means by which our spiritual warfare is engaged. And that is in the travailing and the praying and the anguish in our prayers that will see a breakthrough for each and every one of you. I would say from the outset in regarding to Satan and all the principalities and powers of darkness, I want to say that Satan was defeated on the cross, amen, and made powerless to overcome any believer who would put on the whole armor of God and begin to wrestle in prayer. Amen. You have the victory if you will do these simple things. Oh, yes, it will. And don't forget uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, the basics of the construction of our family, of our marriages, and of our societies. Amen. It says, wives, to respect your husbands. It says to, to husbands, to Love your wives. It says to the children to obey and honor your parents. And it says to those who, are, who, are, who have taskmasters over them in the work environment to obey and to be diligent. Amen. To be diligent with all these things, not as, as eye service or lip service, but it says from the heart. In other words, it calls the rank and file of God's army to order God's order, not the way that a woke society promotes order, 
but the way that God has instituted order for our lives. Who's got something out of this this morning? There's just so much here. There's so much here. I've got a 1,200 book page on Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 to 20. Amen? (laughs) Ten verses. And it takes 1,200 pages to get through it. But the richness of God's Word, I use it as a springboard to thinking. And God reveals and downloads so many exciting things when you meditate and meditate and meditate on the Word of God. So Satan was defeated on the cross, made powerless to any to overcome any believer. That's you and I, any believer. If you would put these basics in place first, you are positioning yourself for success. James 4, 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Oh, how good is that? It says resist the devil. Be sober, 1 Peter. Be sober, that means self-controlled. Be vigilant, that means being watchful. Because your adversary or your opponent, your great enemy, says the living Bible, the devil walks or prowls, says the NIV translation, about like a hungry lion, seeking whom he may devour. It says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Resist is an assertive stance against the adversary's operations and agenda. In other words, there is a contending and a resilience and Christians need to grow a backbone, amen? We need to grow a backbone and to resist steadfastly every work and operation of the enemy which rose around like a roaring lion and a roaring lion will always pick off the weak ones. He was always after, he's not after the fastest runner. <laughs> he's after the one who drags behind the back. Oh, I say, stay in close fellowship. Stay in close fellowship because there is a protection in the family of God, amen, where we can uphold one another, protect one another, and know about one another, love one another, provide one another, and so dearly love one another. But there is a, an aggressive hostility. Uh, the devil has an absolute aggressive hostility to you as individuals and to the church. And the things that happen to the church at times never happen in a local Rotary or Lions Club. Why? Because those institutions do not have an adversary called the devil, but the church does. And when the devil hears like in resistance training, you increase the resistance to increase the muscle. But the adversary, when he comes against you, God turns it for good and he begins to build powerful, faith-filled muscle in the backbone of you and I. Amen. God, what the devil has come to destroy your life, God turns it round to empower your life. Amen. And I have seen that outworking in my life over and over and over and over again. A man said to me 30 years ago, he said, that spirit that is working against you, and it did for decades, he said, it hasn't come to afflict you, it has come to destroy you. What a, and I'm going to get that man to preach here in a couple of months time in August. Wonderful friend of mine, I don't see him often. Isn't it amazing? The devil just doesn't come to afflict, but ultimately he comes to try and destroy. And so I think in any warfare, it's, it pays to be 
proactive rather than reactionary. Amen? If you are engaging in a war, isn't it better to be on the offensive than to be on the defensive? And sometimes our Christian lives, we let them ebb so low, so low, so low. And when we stand up to fight, all we're doing is being, it's a knee-jerk reaction. And we're always on the back foot. We're what they call behind the eight ball. But when you begin to rise and begin to have a preemptive attacks on the devil, oh, then you start taking ground. And he says, when the light of God comes in, darkness must flee. Amen. Let's stand to our feet right now. I pray that you have received something today, that you've been invigorated and empowered in your life and in your faith. That's what these messages are for. That's what they're for. I pray that you go out of this place. Not Sometimes blokes used to get filled up with rum and they used to feel like they're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. Amen. Who's ever been there? Oh, that was somebody else. <laughs> that was somebody else. I think we've all been there at some stage. Can you imagine me 10 foot tall and bulletproof? Bundaberg, rum. Got a lot to answer for. Amen. But when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you are you're bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. Thank God for that. Amen. It's filled with the Spirit of God. It is a blessing to be filled in with the Spirit of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord God, for this body of beautiful believers that have come today, for those who have not been able to make it and those who are listening online, I pray that you would rise up in the realm of the Spirit and to begin to wrestle and take on and Father, be filled, that people would position themselves to be filled with the Spirit of God and to be able to effectively drive back the darkness and that the light of God would not only burst through into their own lives, but burst into their families' lives, into their workplace and into this region of Charters Towers. I pray these things, Father. And everybody said a glorious Amen in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.